crazy man? You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. What's up, guys? It's Dylan. I'm back again. This is another episode of We Are Psychos. How are we doing, man? We're, I'm sitting across right now from a very, uh, very special guest that I'm excited for you guys to hear from because I'm excited to hear from her, too, because I literally just met her less than 24 hours ago. Uh, Amelia Mello is here. She is a filmmaker. She's about to release her first feature-length film. It's a documentary called No Kings. No kinks, and hi. it's about uh, hi. How you doing, Amelia? Good. So, uh, for for people wondering how the hell we met each other, we uh, I was I was waiting to go into a show with Brian Park, who's a, a previous guest, and we were eating at Gen Z, this new northern Chinese like food place, and we started talking about what backfiring cars. That's right. Catalytic right? converter. Catalytic, catalytic. You kept saying catalytic converter. Do, is that just like a term you know, or do you know a lot? Do you know a lot about cars? Not that much. You just knew about I the catalytic. I took a basic auto mechanics course in college. Okay, so you knew enough that the catalytic converter is what's causing the backfiring. The malfunctioning. The malfunctioning. The, the malfunctioning of the catalytic converter is yeah. what's causing the backfiring. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, we we started talking, and then I think I mean cars are probably different these days. Oh, than they were before. Than they were back in my day. Back in your day, yeah. how old, how old? You're not that old. What are you she's talking about? I'm she's 40. seventy. You're forty. Yeah. Oh my god, you look amazing for forty. I live Jeez. even better on a podcast. Yeah. Oh, guys, on a podcast, she looks literally nineteen years old. Okay. In real life, she looks twenty eight, but on a podcast, nineteen. You look great for forty. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. I just turned. It was just my birthday. I just just your 40. birthday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Happy belated happy birthday. Um. But yeah, we, we, we started talking and you kind of told, you gave a little bit a summary of a story that I, I thought it would be great to bring on here and, and have people hear about. And you also seemed very open to, I mean, talking to strangers, obviously, because I was a stranger. And um, But you know, there's certain people that you talk to and you almost immediately you're like, oh, I could talk to this person for an hour and a half and it wouldn't... Yeah get boring or whatever mm-hmm. but so uh i guess we can just start off from where what you told me yesterday which is what you just got back from nicaragua right yeah what was uh <laughs> what was going on down there i've had an exciting um mm-hmm. several days all right um for the past several weeks um okay i've been working on a documentary film following um kind of more intimately um, what's been happening in Nicaragua. Okay. And for those of people who, who are not familiar, um, protests began in Nicaragua in um, beginning of April, mm-hmm. um, protesting um, the reform of Social Security in Nicaragua okay. and also the non-response of the government to the burning of a reserve called Indio Mais. Okay, Indio um, Mais. Yeah. And then on April 18th, mm-hmm. the government started to respond violently and they killed um, a boy named Alvaro Conrado, a 15-year-old boy who was delivering water to some of the student protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it mainly students that were protesting? Um, there were... 
at that point it was mainly students. Okay. Um, there were a lot of protests happening in various places, but the protests that they cracked down on the most were was in front of one of the universities. Oh, okay. So, um, basically, um, the violent response of the government mobilized even more people, even more university students. Okay. And um, at various times in the last three months, three of the universities were occupied. Um, by the government by, in Nicaragua? No, by the students. Oh, okay. Um, the students basically decided that they were going to um, occupy their own universities um, in protest of what the government was doing and how they were being treated by the by the government. And they were also um, basically barricading themselves inside to protect themselves mm-hmm. um, because the police at that point had already begun shooting directly at student protesters and killing them. Killing their own people? Yeah. So on the 18th, they killed one person. On the 19th, they killed two people. And then it kind of just progressively got worse and Exponentially worse. Exponentially got worse? Yeah. So what? this is all caused by protests over Social Security or... Yeah. So what's, what was, what's happening with the Social Security system there? Um, is they, it just defunct or... No, they had um, proposed, I think, a 6% um, decrease in benefits. Okay. Um, and it was something that the government actually, they reversed their position on, on Social Security six days later. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, it started out about the reserve um, that... It started out that the government was responding to a forest fire. It started out that the government had um, proposed this um, social security measure that people um, weren't agreeing with. Um, But now really it's become about just the right to assembly, the right to protest, the right to um, participate um, in their democracy. democracy. Um, And um, since... April 18th, over 400 people have been killed in Nicaragua. Yes. By the government. By the government. Straight, like... Mm Mm-hmm. So this is getting to, like... This is is massacre Mm -hmm. levels. Yeah, it's massacre levels. And the government's turning on its own people and just murder... And are they mostly students? Um, mostly students. Jesus. Um, no... uh, I actually don't have the specific numbers of how that's distributed yeah. across um, 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 across. Cause there's three m- major movements happening. Mm-hmm. One is the Campesino movement, okay. which has been active. Um, another kind of aspect to this is that um, the government has sold rights to a new Panama Canal in Nicaragua to China. To a Chinese business, okay, um, company, and um, and there's a whole swath of people that are going to be affected by the construction of this canal, and they're protesting it, and they don't want it to happen, and it's been all kind of under wraps, and mm-hmm. um, the process has the whole process has not had any sort of transparency to it, and so there's been a movement for several years now, since 2014 against this canal. Um, so there's kind of like three major movements right now. It's like the anti-canales and the Campesino. campesinos. 
um, led by an amazing woman named Francisca Ramirez. Um, And then there are kind of um, what they call like barrio leaderships, like neighborhood leaderships um, in mostly in Chinondega, Mm -hmm. Leon, Managua, the eastern neighborhoods of Managua, Catarina, and a place called Monibo, Messiah. Okay. And um, and then the student movement. Um, so those are the three major movements that have responded to the government crackdown. And what the students did is that they occupied their own universities in three different universities and barricaded themselves. Are they public universities? Mm-hmm. Okay. They're public autonomous universities. Meaning? Meaning the police should not even have the right to enter because they're like their own their uh, own yeah like not state but they're their own entity yeah they're not they may they get funding from the government but they are not related to they're not government employees or anything basically okay they have independence um from the government um the students occupy the universities um why did they choose to stay there why did they choose to occupy the universities yeah, why were as they, a form of protest to how the government was treating them? Um, were they supposed to leave? Like, because school, oh, school's not in session right now, right? Or it, it, classes basically stopped. Okay. Yeah, and could no longer the universities couldn't function anymore. Uh, okay, so the, as, the students said, "We're not leaving. Maybe we're not even going to class, but we're, we're oh, they're staying specifically on campus." Yeah. Got it. Yeah. No. Yeah. And they're um, they were being um, attacked by the police, attacked by sort of SWAT special forces mm-hmm. teams, um, and then at one point they um, there started to be attacks by paramilitary forces, which are basically um, guys who are don't are not wearing uniforms but had major um, military training, military training, ex-military or basically undercover. Yeah, some people think that they were hired militias from Venezuela yeah. and Cuba. Okay. Because of their accents and some of the students said that they heard them speaking, speaking. in a different kind of Spanish wow. that sounded more Cuban and Venezuelan. So they think the go- and so these kids are sleeping in their dorms or are they just sleeping They're sleeping in shifts cuz they're like on watch and um because what what I'm trying to understand is is why them staying in these schools, the government seeing it as a, uh, a a huge issue for them. Like, why does the government feel threatened? They're not going to Capitol Hill. They're not. Um, I mean, yeah, they might be protesting, but but what what is causing the government enough stress and making them look bad enough that they are willing to attack these kids in schools, not even attack, murder these kids in schools and go to lengths where they're hiring paramilitary. Like what, what, what's the goal of even the kids in the school? I mean, that's the big question question. (laughs) is why do, um, but obviously they -hmm. feel threatened by, um, the students are, um, you know, asking for um, elections to be um, held earlier. Okay. And they're now planned for, they're asking for 
Ortega, um, the president, and Rosario Murillo, the um, the vice president, who are a husband and wife, and wife. team, <laughs> to step down. Wow. Um, Ortega and Rosario Murillo. Murillo. Yeah, okay. Danielle Ortega and Rosario Murillo, and um, so they're asking them to step down. Um, and it, I mean. Why do horrible things happen? We're, we're, yeah. We don't know. Yeah, we don't always know. <laughs> um, but, but so these, ki- these, these um, kids, they decided to stay at school and protest while at school and make a big deal and saying, we're protesting the government right now. Yeah. We're not leaving. Right. Um, maybe we're, we're, not, we're not going to class. Class hasn't, class hasn't been happening for what, a couple months or... Yeah, at Since that point, a couple months. So was April when they just when the first kid was killed? Is that the timeline when they started? Okay, sorry, that that's what yeah. I was all confused about. So in April, um, and actually it was staggered. So they were okay. like occupying one university, and then they started occupying another university, mm-hmm. and each occupation took was happened for about a month. Um, and this kid was the killed. The last for- one was Unan. Okay, um, this kid was killed for bringing water to some of the students. Yeah, that were protesting. Yeah. That was the first kid to be killed. And they just took him out. Okay. Yeah. So there's these three... So you got these three universities. They've been there since April, basically. Yeah. So four They're months. no longer being occupied. Oh, okay. We're going to get to that part cool. of the story. All right. But basically, these kids have barricaded themselves in, mm-hmm. inside of their universities. Okay. Um, they're protesting. Uh-huh. Um, some of them are um, trying to like defend their position with firecrackers and rocks. Yeah. And um, at one point, um, they started, you know, receiving heavy fire. Heavy gunfire. And um, they all ran out of the university. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them were able, around like 100, were able to escape to a church. Okay. Um, where then the church... Um, was under heavy fire for around 15 hours, basically all night long. Um, I've, I visited this church. There's After? Yeah, there's bullets embedded in... The stone? Or? In, the, <laughs> in the altar. Jeez. <laughs> um, there's like... Um, it's quite a sight to see... Um, and then the church was active in negotiating a ceasefire um, yeah. in which a lot of the students were able to escape. And at this point, they're all um, have either fled the country or are in safe houses, mm-hmm. um, kind of hiding um, for their lives um, and also continuing to organize and release statements and organize protests. And um, that's like the really kind of mind-blowing thing i think is that um even with over 400 people dead even with paramilitary forces going to people's houses and shooting through windows even after um you know being shot at for 15 hours in church these students are still um demanding to be heard and um demanding that there be a real legitimate um, process, um, democratic process to remove this government and and elect leaders that they think 
we'll represent them better. Yeah, we'll better represent them. And they're not only upset about the the Social Security issue. They're also a lot of them are involved with the canalistas. You said yeah, and then um, other uh, yeah. And at at this point, of course, like the main issue is just the, the amount of been, repression yeah. and um, and lack of basic human rights. So that's what the students were doing. And then at the same time, mm-hmm. the neighborhoods um, were were organizing themselves. Um, they were making barricades mm-hmm. within um, towns to Got not it. allow the police um, into certain areas of the town. They basically said, like, we no longer we're we're we see what's happening, what the police are doing, and they're no longer welcome in our town. In our town. Um, and that happened in Monibo, in Catarina, in Lyon, in Chinantega, where people were um, isolating their neighborhoods from police intervention. And um, at one point, um, it, in Monibo, they had surrounded a police station mm-hmm. so that the police actually couldn't leave. Um, and the government there also reacted in an intense crackdown, um, sending paramilitary forces Mm -hmm. in to, um, they were all, every single person described that these paramilitary forces were, came in Hilux Toyota trucks. Interesting. Yeah. Why those specific trucks? Those trucks are very popular in Nicaragua and also okay. used a lot by the government. Um, they're just like normal black. like They're expensive, big trucks. I don't even think I've ever heard of a Hilux truck. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so they were they're all like rolling ex- up expensive, big pickup trucks. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the government trying to claim that, um, this, it's like one of the aspects of these trucks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. The government trying to claim that these um, these paramilitary mm-hmm. forces are a natural manifestation of people who oppose the protesters. Yeah, it kind of kind of it fits into like they wouldn't all have the exact same trucks that are also used by the government. Right. So we're 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 not completely sure, but pretty sure that the government has been hiring hiring paramilitary forces. Right. Excuse me to assist. Also, with the police that are already repressing and um, right. uh, pushing down right. the uh, Nicaraguan people. Yes. And is the government admitting to this? Or, or did they have any like defense or rebuttal? So the way that the government is framing it is as mm-hmm. a conflict between two different groups in civil society. Okay, you can pull that a little closer. Yeah. Okay. Um, They're framing it as a conflict between two different groups in Uh civil society. Um, So they're saying um, that the Sandinista youth Mm -hmm. are obviously um, in conflict with these protesters who um, they paint as delinquent... um, you know, malcontents. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so there's been like a as there's been a heavy aspect of denial. They won't admit, um, 
to their own activities. The, the people they've all killed, they won't admit to that? Mm-mm. They won't. They just, they just say it didn't happen. They say it was a conflict between these two sides. But who are the Sandinistas or... The, so the basically the history of Nicaragua is that mm-hmm. there was a um, a brutal dictatorship, yeah, um, supported by the U.S. in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. The Sandinista Revolution started in nineteen seventy six, and it was um, you know inspired by Cuba, okay. inspired by other or, communist yeah. revolutions, um, and. Um, and the Sandinistas were fighting against the government, mm-hmm. the dictatorship, and also against the U.S. supported Contras. Got it. Um, and in a lot of ways, the Sandinista movement was really incredible. Mm-hmm. They organized basically the entire country. They overcame, you know, the largest forces in the world at the time. Yeah, and they they won. <laughs> and they won. Um, and they made for themselves a really, um, robust, um, and participatory democracy. Mm -hmm. Um, the war ended at the end of the eighties. Um, Ortega, who's the actual, who's the now president Daniel Ortega was very active Mm -hmm. in the, in the the eighties in, in the revolution in the Santa Anissa revolution. And, um, and then from like 1990 to 2006, um, mm-hmm. there were more n- what they called neoliberal parties were okay. in power, had been elected. In 2006, Daniel Ortega is elected. Okay. Um, and then well, so he's been around for 12 years. He's been around for 12 years. And then he was elected again with only 36% of the vote. It's a familiar situation. Yeah. To those how, of the, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, I'm not sure of the technicalities. I have to go back and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and look. But obviously it was some kind of rigged um, just Or yeah. either he got the highest. Was it that he got the highest vote or that... Because that's insane. 36% is like almost a third. I think Trump had 33%. Of the popular vote? I thought his was like 48. Of of the... of. All voters of all, everybody who could vote. So, oh, Trump only had thirty-three percent of everybody who could vote. Yeah, but I think Hillary maybe had like thirty-eight, right? Yeah, 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 mean, yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah. So that's not like oh, an yes. unfamiliar oh, oh, situation. Oh, I thought for you us. meant of everyone that voted, only thirty-three percent voted for Ortega. Thirty-six percent. He had thirty-six yeah. percent of the vote. I really have to uh-huh. go back and yeah, and break down. But that no matter number. what, it wasn't very. Um, it wasn't a resounding victory, yes. and it wasn't um, a valid and in like some a, ways. Um, a resilient mm-hmm. and mandate. So, um, so the Sandin- so he's part of the Sandinista par- Party, okay. the FSLN, mm-hmm. um, and and since two thousand six, there's been a lot of. You know, where um, since the Sandinista Party has been the party of the government, mm-hmm. um, there's been a lot of um, conflict. Or no, there's just been like a lot of like there at at some point there were um, party membership cards that you had to present in order to get certain jobs. Wow. Um, and um, so there's just been like a lot of manipulations and mm-hmm. kind of. Um, 
I think wasn't there a an election in Nicaragua recently? I have to check. Was it cuz I remember reading hearing something on NPR about how there were different government people at polling stations like telling someone you better vote for the president or or trying to give people different dates. There was like some sketchy stuff going on. Yes. I'm not sure if that was yeah. Um the last elections, we should look that up because okay. I'm pretty sure it was in 2014. But so you so all this is happening and the 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 kids have now left the universities on November 5th is the next election. Yeah. No. November 5th will be the next one according to this. November 6th, 2016. So the next one is 2020. Um 2021. Oh, it's 5 years. Is how um it's scheduled now. Okay. Yeah. So yes, um 2016 Daniel Ortega is elected He's again. Elected. Um so where are we presently? So so, so uh, we were in the neighborhoods. Were mm-hmm. the neighborhoods where they're making cutting barricades? Off, yeah, cutting off the police. And, and then the Hilux, Toyota Hilux trucks are pulling up with the paramilitary. Attacking people. Yeah. So, so the, and the, then they came in with heavy machinery and cleared uh-huh. out all the barricades. Got it. Um, and then those people also went into hiding. Um, and so you have like a whole network of people who've been protesting that are now that are in hiding. just being oppressed. Yeah. And the government is doing this because they just want to be in control and are not paying attention to what their people are saying at all. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like theories about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why, um, they're, they're cracking down so heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is, is that they have. Yeah, they have been. I mean, they've been killing kids. Is, <coughs> they've been is, killing kids. Is the most like poignant or salient part about this that we've heard so far is that they're killing kids that are protesting or staying on. Um, instead of jailing them, they're just they've just been straight up like killing even even yes. by police or paramilitary and they've been hiring paramilitary um, to come and assist them, which yes. means they are so worried or, or I don't know, want to make sure no one's, no one is lashing out enough that they are willing to do that, which yes. is um, pretty scary. And I'm surprised. I feel I, I'm curious why we're not hearing about it more. Um, I mean, because 400 people being killed, even though it's been four months, that's a, a pretty big deal. It sounds to me like something a UN might want to get involved in. or Yeah, there has been. Um, there was a, um, a meeting of the Latin American Human Rights Commission, mm-hmm. and um, which condemned what's been happening in Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. For some reason... Like Mexico, for instance, has yeah. made a statement that they don't want to get involved. Um, Brazil has been one of the countries that has come out most strongly against the Ortega Murillo government. Um, and we should look up the United States response because I think that there's been little almost to no response. little to no response. At one point, Marco Rubio in Florida was talking about how there was the risk of civil war 
in, in, Nicaragua. in Nicaragua. So he was basically adopting, and a lot of the press around it has basically adopted the attitude that this is an internal conflict between two um, distinct two parties, factions. Okay. two factions. Um, and that's, so they're basically buying the party line. Yeah, so July 16th, um, well, U.S. to New York Times, on July 5th, U.S. was to impose sanctions on three uh, top Nicaraguan officials after the violent crackdown. Um, so apparently that's what's been going on. And then um, the UN chief demands an end to Nicaragua violence. Hundreds protest Ortega. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that was happening in July. Mm-hmm. Um, killed at least, Yeah, so in July it was 275 people in the protests. Mm-hmm. 12 people killed over the weekend. And... But it just feels to me like, besides a couple uh, articles, it's not really being talked about that it's much. Not. And whether that's because of backdoor policies and, you know, the U.S. or other countries having ins with Ortega and, and him them being in their pocket or whatever. Um, but it seems pretty, pretty corrupt and, and not okay. Like, it, this is, you know... Not UNESCO shouldn't be involved, but I mean that the UN trial for the human relationship or human, human yep. welfare, human rights. That's what the I'm saying. The commission, yes. commission on Human Rights should be involved because this is like insane. Yep. And I can't believe that no one's talking about it. But so what? What? So all this, all this is happening. Yes. And you're here in America. No, I'm in Nicaragua. When did you go to Nicaragua? I'm I went to Nicaragua f- yeah. after... So basically, I got there after uh, most of the most extreme crackdowns had taken place. Okay. And um, was basically working with people, filming people while they were in hiding, and and um, doing interviews with people, um, recounting their what stories and their experiences. Um, I got there ra- right around the 100-day mark. Okay, so of, right around three months into it. Yeah, three months into the protest. So around you were in there in Ju- around July. Mm-hmm. And so, so you saw this happening, you heard about it, and you decided I want to go down and make maybe another movie about it or a documentary yes. or something. Yes. Um, yes. Had you been involved in a lot of political things in the past, or was this was there a reason that this one struck you specifically? I went to Nicaragua in '99 okay. after Hurricane Mitch and worked as a volunteer. And actually was taken in by a whole network of Sandinistas Mm -hmm. that were helping us figure out the best way that we could respond to the disaster. And it was a very moving experience. And um, just to see how much these people had um, really fought for their democracy and how much they really valued democratic ideals in their daily life. I, I went to a dinner... Um, and it was, there must've been like 30 people at the dinner all sitting around a table and each and every person at the table was given whatever time they wanted to, to talk to everyone else. 30 people? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And even though in the United States we talk about democracy all the time, Mm -hmm. we don't practice democracy in how we organize them ourselves and we actually prioritize leadership over the collective. Yeah. So I'd never 
done something like that where it was like really each person had a, you know, I mean, I'm sure people, I'm sure there's experiences in the United States where people, you know, like Quaker meetings or things like that. But I had never had that experience in a political context where really everybody had a chance Mm -hmm. to speak and express themselves. And, um, and it was really moving to see that they, that they, had fought so hard for their democracy and they were still integrating the ideals of democracy in all of the ways that they were interacting with each other. Um, um, including the way that they were, you know, um, integrating what we were doing. We were like three girls that w- were bringing 20,000, a $20,000 project down to Nicaragua and yeah. this in 1999. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it was a, really a process of like, it was like a conversation mm-hmm. to figure out what the best way was to use that money um, and how it could, you know, really benefit the most, the most people. Um, so, and that's, I was 20 yeah. at the time and I learned so much from my time there. And so I've always had like a special place in my heart for Nicaragua. And when I saw that this was happening, I had no doubt in my mind that I wanted to be involved and, um, and do whatever I could to support these students who I feel like are the real heirs of the Sandinista movement. Um, Mm -hmm. and the real heirs of the Sandinista revolution, um, that they're really caused the country to be, a democracy right now. Yeah. In in theory. Yeah. Um, and in theory, Ortega and Murillo are from the Sandinista party mm-hmm. and they're like the, the bearers of the revolution. Yeah. But really they're the traitors of the revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're doing what they're doing right now. Right. Which is insane. Okay. Right. So you've been there once before. So you obviously had some kind of connection to Nicaragua. Yeah. And you heard about this and were following it. And then a hundred days in, you said, I have to go down there. Yeah. And did you take a crew? Who like who did you go with? We um we hired um I had mm-hmm. um I was lucky enough to know people who were there and be able to work with filmmakers on the okay. ground in Nicaragua. Um and so it meant that very quickly I was inserted into a network of um of of protesters and movement leaders. Um, so did you like just buy a ticket five like five days earlier like I'm going and and that's it like what ha- what happened did you- yeah I think we we talked about it on a Friday and okay. we were there by Tuesday wow it was fast that's just, how many people did you go with um I don't really want to mention okay. right now because we're still trying to protect everybody that we've been working with and no we want to continue with the project and cool so because um, some of them are still down there is what you're saying. Yeah. Potentially. And my cover, I mean, uh-huh. I was laying really low. My uh-huh. cover was totally blown by events that we will soon talk about. Yeah, get to. Um, okay. So I'm kind of, you know, there's no reason why I shouldn't be talking to everybody that I possibly about can it, yeah. about it right now. No one knows your connection to these other people. No one knows. Yeah. So, so these other people that are potentially there continuing this mission, it's... Uh, it's, the government doesn't know that they're there because if they did, what would happen to them would be what happened to you. Yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Sounds so. good. So you go down there and you're ask, you're interviewing people, doing this documentary. You're, um... Yeah, basically our mission for the first 10 days was mm-hmm. just to interview as many people as we possibly could to get so first-hand testimonies of what had happened, okay. especially in this context where the government is denying that anything, anything is happening. Yeah. Um, and so what I found was like a lot of like people were incredibly traumatized mm-hmm. and it was hard to even conduct interviews because I mean the government turned on them that's yeah, the scariest thing yeah and killed them their family members yeah. I mean their family members people that they had been um, you know working side by side with um, f- you know living in uh, behind these mar- barricades they were called tranquis um, okay. for months at a time and it was hard to co- even conduct interviews. It was people just basically needed to say, you know, so I would just sit in, in front of people mm-hmm. with a camera and just let them tell me what they needed to yeah. tell me. And a lot of times they would be crying. Um, most of them could not show their faces. They either right. um, did their interviews in profile um, with their faces blacked out or completely covered blurred or blurred um the security protocol was pretty insane we had to meet people at safe houses i couldn't have the contacts of anybody we had to like you know every contact had to be go through three people or were they worried that you were the government just it's just dangerous to even like concentrate the contacts of very various people in one place this sounds like a war zone it sounds yeah, I mean, it is. It sounds yeah. insane down there. Yeah. That this just sounds like a fascist dictatorship that's it is. like hell bent on squashing anyone that has any attempt to It is. It it finally I kind of sort of like you know, my great-grandfather died in the Holocaust. My grandfather mm-hmm. survived the Holocaust. Um my parents lived in a military dictatorship in Brazil. Um and I kind of finally really got the visceral feeling of what that's like, of what that's like. And also just the worst feeling is that you never know where it's going to come from and who can turn on you because anybody can be bought out and, yeah. and sell you out for not that much, not that much money. Um, especially in a situation where they've managed to destroy the entire economy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and it could be at a gas station, it could be the guard, it could be in front of the building, it could be your friend, it could be, you know, you, it's just that kind of situation where you're not sure. You're always on edge. You're always on you're edge. You're not, literally not trusting anyone. No. Except maybe the, the people you came with, obviously, because you've known them. Yeah. But besides that, um, you anyone could could be a, a a traitor yeah or someone that double crosses you yeah and so that's, that's um not gonna, i can't feel good that's a lot <laughs> a little of stressful. It's a little anxiety 24 yeah, 7 for about a month and a half yeah yeah a little stressful um i actually left and came back in because i needed to take a break there was like no i couldn't and mm-hmm. and also what the main person that we're supposed to work with mm-hmm. um when we initially got down there left within three days because it gets so stressful that you can't, your brain ceases to function. Um, 
which makes the people who are there and still organizing and still working even more impressive. Um, so, so basically we got down there, we just did as many interviews with as, as many people as we possibly could to get as much um, personal testimony as we possibly could. Um, and then I moved into a sort of observational, um, more intimate form of documentary filmmaking where I was, um, staying and, and living with these students who were continuing to protest and organize and make themselves heard and, um, in a safe house. I was with them and it was really inspiring. These are kids who aren't afraid to get into the nitty gritty, um, aren't afraid to go to like tons of boring meetings over and over again. I mean, more importantly, aren't afraid to get shot at. Aren't afraid to get shot at. Or not. Where did you, did you ever come under fire while you were there? No. Okay. Luckily enough. Yeah. Don't shrug. I mean, it's good. I know you're like, ah, I guess I didn't get shot at. No, that thank God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But these kids you were doing with had 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 they'd all they all had experiences of being shot at, at hearing bullets, mm-hmm. at um, facing the realization that their own government was trying to kill them. Um, they, you know, they'd all had those experiences. Um, and one of the really I think this is the way we actually started talking about this was um, one of the things that I really was another part of that aspect of what they were doing that was really inspiring is that they um, it really integrated the concept of self-care into what they were doing. Oh, that is how we started talking. Um, Yeah. yeah, And there's these kind of relief people that come in um, to talk to them from time to time that they can cry Mm -hmm. to and, you know, release their emotions and, um, the release of the trauma that they've all undergone is in they're they're like carrying that into their work and into the concept of how they organize themselves and how they conduct themselves. I mean, they have to, especially with what they're going through because they could easily get some form of PTSD after this. I mean, from what you've been describing to me. Oh, uh, we all have PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Talking about PTSD, I think one of the, and being in New York, I think one of the reasons that I was able to function and, and keep on going under these circumstances is that, um, I very closely witnessed, um, the towers, September 11th in 2001. Really? Yeah. And, um, I was at Greenwich and chambers and I was living there and, Jeez. um, I saw the second plane, plane hit, hit and, um, and so I think when you have that experience of just ex- experiencing massive destruction, For there's, sin. there's part of that, um, you just hold that tension in your body and it kind of never goes away. Yeah. Or at least when you feel it again, it's familiar and you know... Yeah, you're like, I know how to do this. I've yeah. been here before. Yeah. As horrible as it is, yeah. your body's like, I've dealt with this before. I know how to do it. So it's yeah. almost easier the second time. Or yeah. almost in a real weird way feels not nice, but familiar. You're like, I've been... Yeah. It's not easier, but you know that you can continue to function and you know that how to function around it. Whereas in that heightened state, you've been there. Yeah. 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 So I think experiencing September 11th so closely and, and having to continue on with my life in that circumstance, um, Mm -hmm. helped me jump into the circumstance and be able to continue, um, doing what I was doing and not be as stopped or, um, stricken with like what is happening. Yeah. 
which definitely happened at times. Yeah. I definitely had to stop and cry every once in a while. Um, cause it's not a normal or good or right situation. Um, so more recent events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're there, you're interviewing people, you're going yeah. through it, you left and then you decided to come back. And I went which back. Which again is like so, <laughs> not not insane in a bad way, but so admirable that you're like, I'm going to leave this, but only so that I have the mental facility so that I can come back and do this all over again. Right. And then, so you did. You yeah. came back again and then you were there uh, up until the most recent events. Yeah. Um, and we were in a situation where everybody was hiding out in safe houses. Mm -hmm. Um, people had started, they'd started, um, actually applying like a semi judicial process to what was happening. So they were starting to, um, submit like police orders, um, for imprisonment for certain people, Um, protesters and stuff. Yeah. What do you arrest warrants? That's what you call them. They were starting to submit arrest warrants. Um, when I had arrived before they had, they had instituted a new law of, of uh, basically an anti-terrorism law okay. um, where anybody that was found aiding and abetting um, people that were against the government could be charged under kind of these anti-terrorism laws. Um, so they were starting to go after people judicially and, um, and less in the we're sending masked men to, to just shoot you. Shoot you and kill you. Yeah. They were trying to do it in a more legit way. In after a, after maybe getting sanctioned by, uh, you know, yes. both the UN and uh, Perhaps. The, the US. Yeah. yeah. But probably they were just trying a, a different... They were like, oh, instead of killing them, let's capture all of them. Right. And get them and maybe we can ask them and see where we can get more of them. Right. Was exactly. there a curfew or anything? Or like, not martial law, but was any of that... There wasn't a curfew, but mm-hmm. um, for instance, there were checkpoints. Um, a Brazilian medical student was killed at a checkpoint oh, when after dark, and so most people were um, trying to get home before dark. Yeah, and not um, out um, after dark. So, so we're in that situation where people are in safe houses, people yeah. are hiding out, um, and but they're still organizing and still protesting and they're still yeah. conducting marches still um, marching still marching not only just doing stuff online they're setting still up marching. like not the women's march but marches like that to protest the government yeah I, I, but these marches how many people are at these marches it's anywhere from like a thousand to five thousand people and at a not time attacked or anything during them these last marches were basically they would allow them to happen for a couple hours and then mm-hmm. they would encounter, you know, a bunch of SWAT police and, and then they would kind of dissolve disperse. Okay. and they would disperse. Um, so we were getting prepared for a national march that was going to happen in Granada on August 25th. Okay. <coughs> on August 23rd, the organizers of that march were captured in the morning at 7.30 and 8.30. Um... And then um, they were released later in the afternoon. Okay. Um, so that was already the first attempt to sort of um, scare people into canceling the march. Surprised they released them. Mm-hmm. The students that I was with decided that they wanted to attend the march in Granada even after 
the capture this display. Yeah. Um, and the plan, the original plan was that there was going to be a caravan of student and civic leaders from Managua down to Granada. It's about an hour's drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they were going to go down all together in a caravan with banners and flags waving and honking. And um, so we get to the concentration point, like the where everybody, the gathering, Start, yeah, the starting point, the starting point yeah. of the caravan at around 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, on the 25th. On the 25th. on last Saturday. Yeah, okay. on Saturday. And, um, and at that point, there had been reports that the that the highway from Managua to Granada mm-hmm. was completely occupied by police, um, by a Sandinista rally, and by these SWAT police special forces people. Got it. But the Sandinistas are who you guys are aligned with, correct? I in so in my opinion that these people are aligned with the Sandinista revolution as it existed got it but not with the sandinista party as right it now. exists now ah okay They've so split yeah so basically the Sandinistas now are not in your opinion in the opinion of the people that you're with are not uh in accordance with the true uh the ideals of the ideals of, of the, the revolution, revolution. They've, yeah. they've they've turned yeah they've turned into something else which is not they shouldn't be called sandinistas okay yeah um so they're they're on the highway they're on the highway um we saw a bunch of them were driving to the Mm -hmm. gathering point um and then at the gathering point the civic leaders basically decided that they were going to do a caravan in the eastern neighborhoods Mm -hmm. of um, managua and they were not going to go to granada the students that i was with at that point there were about 18 carried on a debate, a lively debate, and decided by vote that they wanted to continue to Granada, that we would take back roads Mm -hmm. to avoid any checkpoints, and that we would continue to go and support um, their fellow students in Granada. Okay. So we we take off, very packed um, little microbus with... 20 of us total Jeez. and um, and we're taking back roads and the radio is on and we're hearing about how the caravans in Managua um, had been attacked with tear gas and been dispersed and a lot of people had been captured. The civic. Yeah. The, yeah. So the, the civic leaders are being. Yeah. Um, so everybody in the bus is feeling like we made the right decision. We escaped thank god, yeah. thank god we didn't go in the caravan we would have been captured we would have been captured um not half an hour later we get stopped at a checkpoint on one of these tiny roads that we're on um and from there the sort of nightmare happens <laughs> happens and begins um and really the the key with these experiences is that they never tell you during the entire process, they never told us what was happening. They never informed us of their intentions. So each step, there was like a degree of uncertainty. 
About where you could be leading. Yeah. About what was, you know, because there was no, it was entirely extrajudicial. There was no like, do you know why we're stopping you? Do you know why any of the stuff, you know, there was like no. They just nabbed you. Yeah. So they knew immediately when they stopped the bus. They were like, this is. No, it all took a while. Okay. It was all like a long drawn out process where they like took us out of the bus and then they gathered all of our things. They took all of our phones. Mm -hmm. Um, They completely searched the bus and then um, they put one of the kids in handcuffs and started knocking him around a little bit. And then Uh they took him out of handcuffs. They took my camera. Um, Then they put five kids in the back of a pickup truck with police people. Um, These are national police at that mm-hmm. point, also, when we had gotten out of the bus, what looked to be initially only national police, a bunch of the special forces people came. So there's about 15 people with big... Um, Assault rifles. Yep. And um, so eventually they put um, five kids in the back of a pickup truck. They, they, they put two police in the front of the bus. They took over steering the steering wheel of the bus and um and they started driving and you guys were just forced to be back in the bus yeah we were back in the bus and we had no idea what where they were taking us and because of what the government has perpetrated earlier on the idea that you all might be killed was not the most far-fetched thing no not at all not at all and so you're dealing with that while you're in a bus driving to you have no idea where. Yeah. And the the the, the cops, the paramilitary, the SWAT, they're not telling you anything. Nope. Okay. We asked them, "Where are you taking us? You'll find out." Mm-hmm. Um, Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So and Saturday, this is happening. This you're is Saturday. This Saturday. is around twelve thirty in the afternoon. Okay. We get taken in a bus. Um, one of my um, compañeros, <laughs> um, one of my homies. comrades, yeah. one of my homies, um, made, comrades, very socialist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> made um the really almost the the really brave move of keeping a phone. How to get it? Um, she just didn't. Pa- she, she didn't hand it over. So when they collected all the phones, uh-huh. she kept one and managed to send out a message to um to someone else that we were in contact with that we had been captured Jeez. so thank god for her yeah thank, thank god, god. yeah <laughs> thank, god. <laughs> thank god for our compañera yeah we'll call her compañera one yeah, yeah compañera one thank god for comrade one and um it was like really a super heroic move because she could have, you know, suffered really horrible yeah, consequences. Got my pistol whipped for it or something. Yeah. And, um, so then we were taken to a sort of police quarters with a small jail mm-hmm. in another town called Hinotepe. Okay. And so it was already apparent that they were taking us away from where we you know, they were like confusing the pattern of where we should be. Yeah. Um, and then we were taken to like this sort of like police yard yeah. situation. 
um, which is a square, and there were all on top of the buildings, there were snipers. Um, Sounds like a prison. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a small jail. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It sounds, yeah, it yeah. sounds like a, the holding yard of a, of a small jail. Exactly. So that's where they kept you. Yeah, that's where we were initially mm-hmm. um, with around 20 special forces, police people, and around 20 regular police. Um, so a lot of a lot of firearms. <laughs> um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of artillery. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were there and then Um, it was kind of like, you know, they lined us up, Mm -hmm. took pictures of us all. Um, and then we're process, we're taking us in little groups into the jail to process us. Um, and at one point, um, I was coming out of the jail with, um, and it was confusing because they would like bring us in, they would process one person and then they would bring everybody out, um, so it wasn't clear really what they were doing. And then at one point we were walking out of the jail. I was walking out of the jail with four other um, girls mm-hmm. and one of the girls started trembling and um, I asked her, you know, did your leg fall asleep? Are you okay? And she said, I have epilepsy. This is the beginning of an epileptic oh, God. attack. So um, fit. And that was... Um, Probably the most intense, scariest moment for me was she started having a seizure. a seizure. None of the police or the special forces would respond. They basically made it seem like um, they probably she was faking it or She's we dead. were faking it. Um, they were yelling at us to get against the wall. I knew at that point that my chances of getting killed were slightly lower than any of the other kids' chances of getting killed because rather than it being a local incident, if I was killed, it would be an international incident. Okay, yeah. Because there would be people in other countries that would be um, that would be involved, involved and yes. concerned. And they don't want, as stupid as it sounds, or not stupid... They don't, as bad as it is killing one of their own, they don't want to have other countries involved. Yeah. Because they already have a, a bad enough rap. Yeah. Like we realized with all these killings. Yeah. Okay, so... And you- they'd already killed one Brazilian girl earlier. Um, and so, you know... I mean, that I'm surprised Brazil didn't take more action. Yeah, they've been very vocal. They've been yeah. the most vocal country of any against what's been happening yeah. in Nicaragua. So at that point, they're yelling at us for all mm-hmm. all of us to get against the wall. I'm I run out into the middle of the of the yard and yeah. am yelling for medical assistance and okay. basically yelling at them all. Like she's gonna die. She's gonna die. She's yeah. gonna die. She needs medical attention. She, she's gonna die. She's gonna die. Um and. And eventually they respond, send a vehicle. They won't let anybody go in the vehicle with her and they don't send anybody in the vehicle with her. So they just put this person in full-on seizure in the back of a vehicle with no protection whatsoever. It's a miracle that this person survived. How long was her seizure for? Because that sounds like a while. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it progressed. It was like at least... 10 minutes but it did oh, get to the wow. point okay. where she was um foaming purple yeah purple yeah. and 
I had a guy seized in front of me in um, Washington Square Park, and it was—it's the scariest thing ever because you don't know what's happening. Yeah, and you're convinced they're going to die. Yeah, because they look like they're dying. Yeah, and they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they, they, yeah. They're very, yeah, they're, they're like <laughs> very close to death. Yeah, and you know they're supposed to get through it, but at that moment, you know they're not breathing. They're fo- like their face is purple. They're yeah. moving. You don't know if they're biting on their. And yeah. you feel so helpless because you have no idea what to do. Yeah. And I mean, 10 minutes is a long time to seize too. That's insane. So I, yeah, mean, you throw I a, actually have no idea or concept of how long it actually was. Yeah. A long that's time. That's what it and felt said like. It progressed. Yes. Yeah, it progressed. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a long seizure. It was, it was mm-hmm. enough time for them to call a car for it to come over. Yeah. And then to put them to put her in the car and her to still be having an episode. Yeah. So um, they put her in. So they put her in the back of this car with nobody. Mm-hmm. And luckily, she's okay alive. and alive um, today. But it was incredibly stressful. And then the person, one of her friends that had been helping with her, helping her, immediately started having an asthma slash panic attack, which is kind of like the least you could expect in that circumstance. Yeah, see, I mean, I'm surprised everyone wasn't having one of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why these kids are so so impressive. I mean we were cracking jokes. Everybody was super calm. We were all comforting one another. Mm-hmm. And then sometime after that, they put us back in the bus. They put the boys back in the pickup truck and they uh-huh. start driving us out again. Oh, did they separate the girls and the guys? They separated a group of boys. The were they like the biggest? Probably the ones that were like they do. Does it, did it make any sense why they separated those five specific guys? Or no, no. Okay, mm, just yeah. five guys that they put in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they put them in the in the, in the they truck. Put them and you guys in the back in the of the bus. truck, and then they put us back in the bus, and they start driving again. It's not apparent where they're going because mm-hmm. they're taking some weird routes, and we're kind of trying to read signs and figure out where we are as we're we're going along um one of the most moving moments is when we were in the central highway and it became apparent that we were going to managua um i was in the back of the bus with a bunch with two or three girls that were trying to wave out the window at people who were driving cars behind us to signal that we were being detained, that we needed help, um, that we needed them um, to call, Someone. to take pictures. Um, and they were all putting their hands up against the glass mm-hmm. so that people could see how many people were in the bus. Um, they were waving their hands outside the window. And it was incredibly sad yeah, and moving to see these young girls 19 and 20 um really courageously because they were at risk of um being punished by the driver and the other police that were in the other trucks that they had to do it in a way where the police couldn't see them really risk their lives to to call attention to what was going on being seen just like Like, oh just like okay very yeah. Like just making a little tiny paw. Tiny, yeah, yeah. Tiny, yeah. tiny gestures. Tiny little gestures. Okay. tiny little gestures trying to get the attention of anyone that they could. Mm-hmm. Um, because people couldn't see who we were or what was going on. Yeah. Um, so they drive us to... Um, Minog- 
to Managua. To why, the, why were they taking you to Managua? Is that that's not the capital, right? Yeah, that's oh, the it capital. is the capital. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. They were driving. They drove us to Managua, and they drove us to the the big central jail, mm-hmm. El Chipote. And at that point, one of the boys turned to me and he said, "I'm going to die. That guy's going to die, and that guy's going to die." Some girls had also. Everyone was convinced that the students were probably going to be punished and I was going to be released as an international. The girls had written down a list of demands for the government and put it in my purse. Mm -hmm. They had um, the boy that they thought was most at risk of being killed. They had written his name on a little piece of paper and put it in my sock. They were like preparing themselves to be executed, to be executed. Um, So we drive into the prison um, there were moved into like another holding bus situation. A bunch of people are separated. Um, we went to the bathroom at one point. At one point, one of the guys was hit um, in the bathroom. Um, and we're, I have, I actually have no idea how long we were there. It, at that point, like time, it sort of ceased to be a thing. <laughs> ceased to be um, really something that I could grasp. I knew that it was getting to be later in the day. This um, is still all on Saturday. This is all on Saturday. Wow! So around six thirty uh-huh. that evening, they made a big show of giving us back all of our things, all of our telephones, mm-hmm. and me back my camera, and then letting everyone go. And then they said, the internationalista comes with us. Um, and that uh, was me. That was you. Yeah. So you're like, great. Just me now. Yes. Though at that point, I thought that the worst had already passed and uh-huh. that um, they were just going to... Deport you. Either deport me or, or put something on my passport mm-hmm. or you know process me in, me in a different way and let me go. Yeah. Um, I thought that the worst of it had kind of happened gone. already. Gone. Um, so much so that I didn't um, even hide the card that was in my camera. I thought I was going because uh, they had let everybody else go. So I thought, you know, that's yeah. this is that's the end. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going home now. Um, but then I was taken to another office that was curiously enough a center for human trafficking prevention. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say center for human trafficking. No. I was like, wow, they just don't even care anymore. No. They're being blatant there. No. Jeez. It was in the police station. Yeah. And then the police took me in the back of a car. You know, um, I was in the back of the car surrounded you know, with police on both sides and police in front and police driving. Mm-hmm. And they took me to an immigration detention center. Okay. Which people in the U.S. are familiar, familiar with. Familiar with, yeah. Yeah. In, uh, and Texas. Um, they took me to an immigration detention center, somewhat smaller than the ones we've seen on TV in here. News, yeah. um, and there they put me in a small waiting room. By small, I mean like six feet by six feet. Um, wow. Yeah. 
So a, a closet, basically. Yeah, yeah, a closet. And um, and then I arrive there at 644 mm-hmm. in the evening. And then for the next seven or eight hours, they consistently interrogated me and um, just attempted to try to get as much information out of me as possible. Eight hours. Until around 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And they had five different people. And I have no idea how I was able to count, but but I, but I know that I did because by the fifth person, I was like, you are the fifth person. That's tried to get stuff out of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there was kind of like an official um, testimony that I had to give. And then, you know, it was just different... Um, bad cops, good cops. I mean, they were all kind of trying to play the good cop um, to a certain degree, though they were also threatening me with um, criminal charges in Nicaragua, which they knew, um, you know, they were threatening that I would go back to jail and that Mm -hmm. I would spend a long time responding to criminal charges. Um. at around 3.30 in the morning they or 3.34 in the morning they finally um, took me to a cell where there was a bed, a cot and I was able to sleep and then they woke me up at 7 in the morning and continued the process of interrogation of interrogation at that point they handcuffed me for a while um, and and basically the the crux of it was that they were trying to get me to take them to my footage, my materials, my computer, um, my contacts, mm-hmm. and to um, the other people, the other yeah. internationalistas yeah. over there. No, to or get just, or just the people who yeah. were part of it in general. Yeah, yeah, just doesn't to, matter. Yeah, yeah. Because why did they let the students go? Because they could have used them to get to. I mean, they got all of their information. They got as much out of them as they could. Oh, yeah. And who knows what is in store for For those students now. Um, So they, you know, and they were, and at that point I had no idea if anybody even knew I was there, if anybody knew what was happening. Um, I, at, at one point I asked to speak with, from somebody from either embassy. I'm both an American citizen and a Brazilian citizen. Okay. And, um, they told me that they had contacted both of my embassies and that neither were interested in my case. That's bullshit. (laughs) That's such bullshit. It's funny though. You're like, okay, I guess if you're going to lie, just make it a bold faced lie, but that's not right. That's not true at all. Well, it was useful when I turned it around on them and said, like, if I'm not important, just please, you know, obviously nobody's interested in this. So please just let me go. Let me go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it was I have to say, I really have no idea how I pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we just I think I was so in, inspired by the students, by their dedication, um, by their calm by their focus that by their sense of humor, just by their like lightness getting yeah. of getting through it and, and, you know, 
by their like affection for one another that from some reserve in me, I was able to um, just keep on going, not give them any information, not respond to anything that they were asking of me. And, um, and, you know, I think like when you have the experience of, you know, I might die, um, it becomes, you know, at least you die on the right side of history. Yeah. You're like, well, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to help you guys out. Right. (laughs) If you're good about who I am as a person and, um, and who I'm standing by and who I'm standing with. But you were really considering, you're like, even after this interrogation, they might just, like, kill me after. Or actually, you knew they probably wouldn't. Yeah. Because you were internationalista. Yeah. But you had still been in the mindset of, I might still die. Right. I mean, it was more probable that they would have killed us when we were driving around. But I feel like going through that process of being ready and, Mm -hmm. you know... um, Puts you in a different mind space. Puts you in a different mindset. And so... And I really didn't want to sacrifice the work or any of the material that we had um, we had collected up until that point. But they point. didn't check your camera? Or? They did. Okay. They did. The card that I had in the camera, which wasn't very much because I'd switched it out um, pretty soon after we were first stopped, um, didn't have that much material on it. Did you get the card with the material on it? Not yet. Okay. But it's not hopefully in their hands yeah it's not okay cool hopefully it's in a hiding it's in spot a hiding spot someone else that you entrusted it with okay yes. cool and hopefully we'll get it back we'll get it back yeah okay that's um, good yeah that is that yeah that's, that is a good thing yeah and this is a dumb question were, were they giving you any water or anything yeah the- <laughs> everybody's asking me if they fed me which um they did oh okay um they they used my money to go out and buy things <laughs> Which it was actually, they were like kind of um, cutely, like I was like, I don't eat meat. And then they were very, you know, or like, I don't like to eat that much meat. Because it's like, I don't want to watch eat fast food meat in Nicaragua. But um, um, no, I do eat meat in certain situations. (laughs) Got it, got it. But in that situation. Especially now when you're like, I don't want some street meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but the, so they were like very attentive ah, and okay. like that's the word I was looking for. Cute about it, even. Um, but so they gave me food like around ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night, um, and then the next day, they fed me pretty consistently, um, and yeah, I do. I kind of, I have to say, I was pretty impressed with myself. I was. Handcuffed, surrounded by armed men saying, do with me what you will. Yeah. I will have no part of this. Jeez. Um, and, um, um, and then, so eventually around 1130 in the morning. On Sunday? Oh, I have to mention as an aside Mm -hmm. that in this little waiting room, there was a copy of the book, The Wolf of Wall Street. Really? Yeah. And then also a copy of this book called The Killer Angels, which is a um, recounting of the Battle of Gettysburg. Wow. And um, so I was alternating reading these two books. (laughs) And they really, 
helped get me through. Really go side by side. Yeah. They're, they're really uh, at, parallel stories. Yeah. And at first, The Wolf of Wall Street was this kind of like relieving, you know. Taking it was like somewhere a, else. It was like, yeah. yeah, it was like a contrast to what I was experiencing. Reminded you of New York. Of New York. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually it became like annoying and it's futility and yeah. <laughs> grading. Exactly. <laughs> and, and frustrating. Frustrating. Disheartening that Dis- someone yeah. actually did that. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'd rather hear about people murdering, getting killed in the Civil War. Yeah. You're like, I'm closer to that right now, so right. I'll get back to that point. It was more heartening to read like the, you know, the inner thoughts of people who thought they were being noble in their, in their pursuits of freedom yeah um so but around eleven thirty in the morning sunday. at that point sunday mm-hmm. um august 26th they produced a detention document where okay. and where it basically said because i had involved myself in internal um political questions in the country and mm-hmm. because i had been um found with um armed delinquents because you guys had some guns in the um bus fireworks oh so that was that was their i just assumed you guys had guns because like if i was if i was rolling i i would be like dude i gotta have something they're very dedicated pacifists wow so just fireworks have fireworks distraction distraction and also it's it's a it's a religious tradition in um, okay. in Nicaragua to um, let out fireworks on yeah. festival days. Okay. And it, they've, they, these fireworks, these particular fireworks have become very symbolic. For the protests? <laughs> for the protests. Okay. And they, when they were in the Tranquis, when they were in the universities, they were uh-huh. using these fireworks to defend themselves. Got it. As yeah. well. Um, as like a sort of distraction to the police. Yeah. Um, so... So then they finally like produced a detention document mm-hmm. around eleven thirty, and then by one thirty, um, they produced a deportation document. They really were insistent that I be flown to Brazil because they knew I didn't have my Brazilian passport, mm-hmm. and they were trying to pressure me the entire time to go back to my apartment to get my materials, um, okay, and to get my things so that they could then search those things. Um, your apartment in Nicaragua. Yeah. Yeah. My apartment in Nicaragua. Um, so they were, so they were saying up until the very end, they were saying, we're flying you to Brazil, um, which would have been fine. It just would have been harder. Yeah. They, harder would, they wouldn't of, have turned you around. You're a citizen. You have a, whatever number they, I don't know if they use social security numbers, whatever they use there right. to identify you. But it would just would have been a longer, yes. harder process. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, yeah, they keep me... I mean, they're keeping me guarded the entire time. They finally drive me mm-hmm. to the airport. Um, and I. they take me to the counter, basically, to buy my ticket okay. out of there. And then the I was. they took me to the Avianca counter. Okay. And um, the Avianca guy started talking to me in English and said, where do you want to go? And I said, I'm being arrested right now. I can't tell you anything about where I want to go. And he just put me on a plane to Mexico, which was from El Salvador to Mexico. Um, And 
they kept me under guard until the very moment um, that I was put on the plane, which was 5.30 that afternoon. They deported you out of El Salvador, not no, out they, of Nicaragua? No, they deported me out of Managua, Okay, but they flew me to El Salvador and then to Mexico. Oh, okay. Um, and they thought maybe, they didn't know you were going to Mexico. No. They thought you were going to Brazil or somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, or I don't know if they didn't care at that point. I don't, yeah. I don't know what was going on. They, at that point they had, they had my keys and my notebook mm-hmm. and, um, they kept on telling me that they were going to return those things to me. They never did. Um, they took my keys obviously so that they could try to get access to your apartment, to my apartment. Um, as far as I know, they were not successful. It's good. Um, so yeah, basically, um, gone on the plane. No phone. No phone. No computer. No clothes. No wallet. I had my wallet. I had okay. my bank card. I had my American passport. Thank God. And I had the camera. And that's it. That's it. And your phone and computer were confiscated by them or it's somewhere else in Nicaragua? They were in my apartment. Your apartment. Okay, so they're still there. So mm-hmm. hope so we're hoping uh if there's someone down there or the people down there that um we do not know the identities of have some kind of access to them. So yes. uh they're in good hands. Yes. And not in the government's hands. Yes. And so what you meant went to Mexico and then you bought a ticket to New York? Yes. Jeez. Um yeah, and and I like met somebody in the airport in mm-hmm. Mexico who let me borrow his computer for half an hour so that I could okay. buy a ticket. Did you explain to him your situation? Yeah, I did. In like two sentences? I, he didn't really believe me. <laughs> really? I don't think so. You're like, hey, I was captured in Nicaragua and they took all of my stuff and I was deported as a uh, political terrorist. I think he sort of did, but... And then he like... Because then at that point, I... Um, cause what actually happened, mm-hmm. um, was that compañera uno, yeah, una, 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 yeah, compañera una. <laughs> compañera una, um, had sent out a message. Both of the embassies were pressuring them to release me and were very involved. And, um, this story had gotten to the Brazilian press and okay. I was, had, was on the nightly news basically as Brazilian filmmaker detained in Nicaragua. Mm. So, um, not only did people know that I was detained, but a lot of people knew that I was detained. Um, and that's basically what I've been doing yesterday and today is talking to reporters and doing interviews and, um, since my cover has been blown, okay. I might as well talk to as many people as I can I to draw attention to what's happening. Because meanwhile, there was another group of students that were detained from Lyon who are still in detention. They were detained on the same day. From Lyon. Not the civic people. Not the civic a leaders. Different a, different, a different group of students was captured in the same day and it's still not been released. So four days later. Yeah. They're in some kind of uh, jail. Yeah. Or, or holding. They're at the jail that we were uh, taken to. 
the did big you, jail. Did you meet them when no. the the big jail in Managua? Yeah, or? the big jail okay. in Managua. We didn't meet them. You didn't see them? No, we didn't see them. They kept us all separate. When the plane took off, did you feel some sense of like relief that you were out of their hands? Yeah, yeah. immediately when I sat down in my seat, I like, started crying yeah. <laughs> and, you know, bawling my brains out. And um, and then there was just like, you know, waves of relief Emotion and relief and yeah. figuring out what's next. Yeah. And so because I saw on your on your Facebook, people have been like, I heard you got captured. Like, I hope you're OK. Yeah. Is that what your picture alive? Is that to tell no. people that you're alive? Oh, OK. She has a picture on uh, Amelia's Facebook. It's a picture of her and it says uh, as a caption that just says alive. Yeah. And I thought that you had somehow posted that to let people know that you were still alive after being captured. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's a kind of like poetic ah. um, coincidence. That it was just... It came from a crowdfunding yeah. campaign that uh-huh. I did last year. Ah, uh, okay. That's cool. Still, <laughs> poetic coincidences yeah. are amazing. That's still nice. Yeah. So you are so you get back here. What's What are the next steps? What are you planning on doing besides blasting the story out to as many people as, um, as you can? Um, so we have to find the missing card. Mm-hmm. We have to upload all the footage... Um, that we have down there. We have to figure out a way to get the rest of the stuff out. We have to figure out a way to continue making the movie. Um, And which we certainly will do. Um, You're not going to go back, are you? I personally will not be able to go back. Um, It seems like because they also um, I'm banned from the country for five years. Oh, because I was deported. Yeah. And on the way to the gate, mm-hmm. um, the guard that was with me, he was like, I just want to let you know that you are banned from Nicaragua forever and none of your friends will be able to come here either. Little does he know that the whole world is my friend. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like, that's not how deportation works. You don't. I, just because I know you now, I'm not going to be denied access into Nicaragua. They might search my name, Mm -hmm. search for my name in relationship to anyone who comes into the country. Yeah. You know, they might, they might, they're very capable. Well, if you were married or are you married? No. If you're, if you're married or at a, yeah, husband, boyfriend, if that would be one thing, if, but then again, I would expect you guys to both have either been there or whatever. But if, I wouldn't doubt yes. that they would go through social media, that they and would find look for people on Instagram yeah. or find whoever is on my, you know, connected to me. Um, well, you just got to let your next boyfriend or husband know that like he can't go to Nicaragua because he's friends with you. He's got to know that a thousand percent. Yeah. Everyone needs to go to Nicaragua. <laughs> um, like my basic takeaway, I was like, um, we all need to be like the barbecue patties of Nicaragua uh-huh. at this point and use kind of um, white privilege tears to uh-huh. s- <laughs> barbecue patties. <laughs> what was her name? The, the Oh, Betty, uh, barbecue the, Betty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbecue Betty. Yeah. Who called the police yeah. because the black family was having a barbecue. Yeah. 
Ah, uh, yeah. So now you're like, let's let's use our cell phones and yeah, the, yeah. the white people complaining about things to right. get slipping done in Nicaragua. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not a bad tactic mm-hmm. when you go out. And so that that's what you're doing now is just trying to talk to as many publications. Or, yeah. And the, actually in the Sandinista, I was very proud the moment when the police officer called me an internationalista because in the Sandinista revolution in the 80s, a lot of Americans did go down and 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 fought alongside the Sandinistas and even stayed in Nicaragua, um, you know, for long after the war. Um, there's people that still live there now. Who, acts, yeah. yeah, who who fought in the in the revolution and invested their lives into um, making a country that they really felt was revolutionary and inclusive and democratic. And um, so I really believe that the same thing could happen now that Mm -hmm. people could go from the U S and Europe and um, stand with the students in the Campesito and the um, neighborhood leadership in this fight. And I also believe that there's no way they can lose that it's just a matter of time until they win because Mm -hmm. they're true believers and they really have the fight in their heart. And that's what, that's how the Sandinistas won Won. in the eighties was because they were true believers. They really believed Mm -hmm. in what they were fighting for. They really were heartfelt warriors. Yeah. And in this case, these students really believe um, in what they are proposing and once you truly believe something, there's no way that you can back down. That's amazing. And that's something I can tell you believe because you were willing to do all of this and go through all of it. Is there somewhere that people can go to help or uh, donate or, or, or where would someone start if they wanted to even get somehow involved in this process? We're still figuring that out we're still sort of organizing that aspect people can certainly get into contact with me and i will try to plug people into via facebook you said yep facebook okay amelia mello or instagram amelia franco de mello Amelia franco oh yeah i follow you on instagram as well yeah that's well i'm i'm happy you're back and you survived me too and uh I know New York isn't the most relaxing place to come back to after being captured, but I guess... Uh, I did find a bagel today, which did, was very comforting. You found a bagel. Yeah. That's, that's one thing you can definitely find in New York City. Yeah. And it's not too hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, before we, we go, is there any... Um, where can people find anything about uh, No no Kings? Oh, yeah, no hold, kings. On. Um, oh, hold on. Do you need to take it? I can pause it. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so, so where to find out about No Kings? No Kings, yeah. No Kings No Kings Yeah. When is it coming out? Next year. Next year. Yes. Cool. And it's already had funding and everything, but people can. It's had some funding, them, but you can always get more. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, they know where to contact you. Yeah. And they know where to find No Kings. Mm-hmm. And um, um. I'm not even I'm hoping more people will get in contact with you to help but no matter what they're hearing this and people are being made aware of yeah. this tragedy that's going on in Nicaragua yeah. that has uh, since 
before this kind of been just not even a big deal. Yeah. Awesome. And I think that this is just kind of like what we do as humans is we fuck up and then try yeah. to make things right and definitely keep our eye on the ball and keep our eye on people who get a little out of control. Yeah. And, um, you know, who or knows? a lot out of control or a lot yeah. out of control. And, um, and we just have to keep people in check and keep like, you know, we're in the process right now in the United States of like, you know, claiming our democracy, figuring out how we can have greater voice in our own government. And yeah, and that's just the democratic process. And it's nothing's perfect, but at least um, we have people like you who are trying to make things right. Yeah. I, I mean, say. there's a lot of people trying to make things Definitely. right. There's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of really dedicated people out there. And um, I think we all, it's like one thing that I experienced, experienced a lot in Nicaragua is a lot mm-hmm. of people having the feeling that they weren't doing enough or that they couldn't possibly do enough, Yeah, which is of course, not true. Everybody, it's of course the feeling that you're going to have. Yeah. And also everybody has, you know what they can do. Yeah. And so we're all just doing what we can do, whatever you can. Yeah. Do whatever Even if you it's can. just a tiny, even if it's just sharing this and trying to educate people and giving a little bit of money that you can, yeah, it's better than just not knowing about it at all. Yeah, right? posting something on Facebook. Exactly, someone else might see that and decide to get involved. Yeah, a lot of people give clicktivists what they call like clicktivists yeah. or like yeah. it's like they call them like lazy activists. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay, I think that um, that you know you can use the hashtag SOS Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, Viva Nicaragua, and um, I think every, every like mention, every hashtag, every, um, click makes a difference. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amelia Mello, everyone. (laughs) We will be back next week with Connor McCausland, comedian and my cousin. Thanks so much. Nice. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Haven't you?